Hello, listening people. Before the episode starts, I just need to clarify something that happened. Unfortunately, during this episode, we had a bit of a technical issue on our recording program, and unfortunately, not all of the episode got captured uh, this time round, but a good significant portion of it did. So, again, I am so sorry about that inconvenience, but hopefully you still listen to the episode and enjoy what we managed to capture. It's quite a fun time as we break down uh, yet another Kevin Smith movie. Well, until next time, people, and remember to enjoy the episode. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Unappreciated Masterpieces. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Slowinski. And I'm the one that makes two, Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you? I'm great, because we're doing our month where we cover Kevin Smith movies on the show. Wow. Yeah, we're up to the third one, where we cover the third installment of Kevin Smith's feature-length movies. Third one? Yeah, on our show on Appreciate Masterpieces, in which we provide audio commentary tracks for movies that seemingly don't deserve an audio commentary track, but that's where we say, hey, you're wrong on that. Hey, you're wrong on that. Yeah, especially especially those Kevin Kevin Smith haters. It's like a double dose of unappreciated master masterpieces. It's a unappreciated auteur filmmaker and his unappreciated works that happen to be masterpieces. It is a whole slather of unappreciatedness. And we are here to provide the commentary that says different to what the general masses say. We are here to give a thumbs up about whatever movies we are covering. But Bartek, why are we called Spin Polish? What's that all about? We are called Spit and Polish like... Hold on a second. <laughs> Likingly, <laughs> because we are always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. Is that correct? We are both Polish? Me, Ryan, and you, Bartek? Could that be the genuine fact? Genuine indeed. Are you sure we're not Jewish? Because I get a lot of that in my life. Everyday life, I get people go, Slowinski, is that Jewish? And I'm like, no. Close, though. And you tell them Mazeltov. Mazeltov. <laughs> so, Bartek, what is the movie we're covering of Kevin Smith's filmography? So, just to recap, we've already done Jersey Girl. Mm-hmm. And we, we already did Zack and Miri make a porno. So, like, what's what are we doing next? I mean, what are we doing now? What's this episode? What are we covering? Well, obviously, this episode, we are covering the classic film, Fuyare na Tropie. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got me there, Bartek. I thought it was going to be Jeff China goes to police academy, but do tell me, what does that translate into? Because I imagine that's Polish you're speaking, and I don't speak Polish, although I am Polish. Mm. Don't speak the language. I'm still working out why that is. <laughs> it's just because I'm lazy. Oh, I see. That makes that's sense. That's the real Australian part of my Polish heritage <laughs> kicking in there. So what is that translating? The half. What's that translate into? Fuyare na tropie translates to, I believe it's cops on the trail. Oh, a direct translation, huh? Nice. So we're watching cops on the trail, huh? <laughs> I don't Excellent. think we are. Ryan. Are you sure? No, I don't. Then think... what are we watching? I mean, I could just say yes, but that'd be a bit of a cop out from 2010. Cop out from 2010? Yeah! With everybody's favourite actor, Adam Brody, who was in Jennifer's Body. Who did he play? He, he played, like, the 
cop that was like, I want to wear those boots. And the oh, other ones, and right. Kevin Pollock is like, you don't get to wear those boots. And then he does get to wear some boots. And then he's like, you wear those boots good. Yeah, we're covering cop out people. So He's the only actor I recognized. Really? Because, no, dude. I just was confused by him, of course. Dude, not. dude, dude. There's many other actors that you may recognize. In I this. know. I mean, you're going to be shocked when I give you some hard facts. Because, guys at home, you have to have a copy of the movie ready. Because I'm going to do a countdown from three. I'm going to press play because I'm going to go from three. And then I'm going to say play. I'm going to press that play. You're going to press it. We're going to be lined up as we speak about the movie. Isn't that right, Bartek? Yes, but I'm not going to press play. Ryan is. That is correct. I am the one with the massive responsibility. So get ready because I'm going to start this in three, two, one, play. So, Bartek, you... Do you have a history with this movie? Because you've had a history with one Kevin Smith movie thus mm-hmm. far. Is it a two for two? I mean, one. I mean, it'd be a two for three at this point. Let's ignore Jersey Girl. Well, even if I did, it would be a no, Ryan. It is still one for three. And what's your fucking excuse? I think maybe I've this came the... out when we were in high school. You had no excuse not to see this. Year eleven, Ryan. I was at a new school. So, I was by the beach. Did you move house? I was afraid of no. The no excuse. It's not like you moved into a rough part of town, and the the local bullies are like, "No movies for you here." It was a rough part of town. It was a high school by the beach. <laughs> a lot of rich kids there. Yeah, you included. So, Bartek, I have a history of this movie for once. For once? Did you not have one for Jersey Girl? Oh, no, that was Rachel, yes. Don't right. forget, my fiancé had a history with Jersey Girl. <laughs> I did not. This is the first out of these these Kevin Smith movies we're covering that I have seen before. But I will give you a double reveal. I have seen it before. And then I watched it last night to get ready. And I realised... I have never seen this movie before. I don't know what movie I thought I saw. This has no recollections to me. Nothing came back. This is like like me with my super ex-girlfriend. This is like, hey, you saw this movie, remember? I don't know what buddy cop movie I saw, but I saw one once. And this was well, how many it. buddy cop films have there been? I don't know. I think this started the genre. <laughs> so it wasn't a homage. It wasn't a homage. It was homage. <laughs> no, this movie is one of those legendary movies. Now, Bartok, you not being as familiar with Kevin Smith, I imagine you weren't as familiar with the legendary status of hatred this movie had and and continues to have. Well, I, I mentioned in our previous episodes that I have listened to or, or at least watched videos on YouTube of Kevin Smith talking about his experiences with Bruce Willis. I Very weird experiences with Bruce Willis. Yeah, I wouldn't have immediately said like, oh yes, the film he did with him was Cop Out. Um, but as soon as I saw that this is the film that he did that Bruce Willis starred in, I was like, oh, th- this is the one where there were some, some, some kerfuffles, as it were. Yes, and we'll get into all of that. But yes, this movie, other than that behind the scenes, this movie itself garnered a lot of critical... Um, hatred and and yeah. audience hatred as well. A lot of people consider this to be his worst movie. Before that, it was Josie Girl was considered to be his worst movie. Um, mm. 
Yeah, you know, Kevin Smith has gone on the record as being like, yeah, this movie didn't really do well. Now, I will note that this is not written by Kevin Smith. This is not his script. He may have punched some stuff up, but the other movies have been his scripts. So maybe that yeah. adds to something. I didn't realize that until I was done with the film. Yeah, so, nor yeah. did I really. Uh, I looked it up again just to make sure. Uh, but like, I personally don't hold that against the. Ri- I'm not saying the, it's all writers' fault. For me personally, I think there's a lot to enjoy in this in this movie. I'll be straight off up uh, honest. Out of the ones we've covered thus far, this is not my absolute favorite. I think Zack and Miri make a porno is probably my favorite out of the three we've covered mm. thus far. Because, you know, although they're all unappreciated masterpieces, you still always have your personal favorites. But I gotta be honest, Tracy Morgan rocks this scene. He's so good. My favorite joke he had in the scene of line quotes, and I might have to explain it to you about it because I imagine you haven't seen it, but he makes a quote reference to In the Heat of the Night, which is when the guy's like, who are you? And he goes, they call me Mr. Tibbs, which is... Such a great line to use because In the Heat of the Night is a great movie. You should really watch it. It's a movie, you know, about Sidney Portier is, you know, a black cop and he has to investigate something serious to go to the South. Or he happens to be in the South and uh, Rod Steiger is like the uh, chief of police there and they have to kind of team up together and work stuff out. And Sidney Portier is like a city guy and he's all eloquent and whatever. And there's a bit where, you know, it's all about racism and stuff. There's a bit where Rod, Rod Steiger or someone, it's not even Rod Steiger, I think it's the villain, says to you like, oh, you're one of those fancy city niggas. What do they call you in the city? And he goes, they call me Mr. Tibbs. And he says it in this very Shakespearean, <laughs> very pronounced way, to the point in which when they made a sequel ten years later, it was all, that was all about him. It was called, They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. And it was just great to hear Tracy Morgan go, They Call Me Mr. Tibbs! In his <laughs> way, because Sidney Portier is known for that very eloquent, very, you know, mannered speaking, that very posh manner of speaking. So he and Tracy Morgan do it perfect it's like the exact reversal of how that scene was supposed to play out originally (laughs) and that's what adds to the joke here because tracy morgan makes these pathetic like cultural pop culture references and he doesn't even understand them like he he gets he doesn't use them in the right way or context and that's the joke Mm. Uh, and i'm happy in the movie i don't know if you are but i'm happy that they didn't play that up as just his sole thing as a character like his character isn't just constantly yeah, he making just references or quotes he was also an encyclopedia <laughs> about facts he just randomly pops up facts and, he's, and he just goes monotone it's like monkeys <laughs> give each other head it's like what's going on with tracy morgan but he's also a character. He's also a character. He's got a wife. He's got a neighbor he doesn't like. <laughs> She's got a gay cousin that plays into the mix. He's got a teddy bear with a camera. And Bruce Willis is in his life. <laughs> he's a character. This is their anniversary, isn't it? Yes, yeah, their nine-year anniversary. Did you notice that? I, I mean, I heard it. Oh, uh, name drop of the original name of the movie. So the original name was uh, A Couple of Dicks. Mm-hmm. Yep. They just name dropped it in the movie, even though that's not the title anymore, because the studio, after the fact, said, no, we're not going to call it that. Call it something like Cop Out or something. I think, I think, I think, yeah, they came up with a title 
And I think Kevin Smith said, like, no, nah, that just sounds like a cop-out. And they're like, use that. I think that was the use that. point. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, okay. I can't remember what the title the studio wanted was. Uh, Bruce Willis. Or maybe it was just a couple of cops or something. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis, be crazy. So I imagine this is one of Bartek's favorite scenes. Tracy Morgan dressed up as a phone. I mean, it was very silly. I like I like him <laughs> flipping the the sign and his dumb face. <laughs> he was born with that face, Ryan. Don't be mean. He was born with it. Yeah, um, he was born with it. <laughs> so Bartek, having um, not been familiar with this movie yourself, what did you? I'm like you. No, no, uh, yourself. Like I, I've already I know s- said that I'm unfamiliar. But you, also being unfamiliar. What did you think you were getting into before actually having watched it and seen what it is? Like, all your expectations and thoughts? Well, you know, based on the poster and based on the title, Buddy Cop immediately sprung to mind. So, you know, that, w- that was it. But also I had to think about, you know, what, what does Kevin Smith bring to it? Again, I didn't know that he didn't write, I, that he just directed it. But he still brought flavour. He still brought flavour to it. And also I had heard, uh, you know, some of the Bruce Willis stories, so... You know, it was just a thing that I just had to see it to really understand all those stories that I'd heard. Yeah, man. And, you know, i got to be honest. I had a lot of expectations about the buddy cop thing. Because the buddy cop thing plays out in a lot of ways, you know? Hmm. Like, I thought this, and the movie straight out the gate denied me this. I thought, oh, it's going to be a movie where Bruce Willis is like this hard-boiled cop who's been on the beat for years and years and years, and he's just been given a new partner, which is Tracy Mm. Morgan, and Tracy Morgan's like, I'm new on this thing! And Bruce is like, ugh, God, I have to teach him my rough and tumble ways. It's sort of like the second Johnny English film. Yes, or, or you know, the Lethal Weapon movies or something, where they have to Mm. team up together, but like... They straight out of the gate have been working together for nine years. Mm. They understand how each other work, and y- you feel the, that they... Um, it's a cliche they avoided. Yeah, yeah. Like, they obviously bought heads about things, but it's in that way where people have been friends for years and years and years, butt heads about things. It's very like, oh, God, mm. he's at it again with thinking his wife's cheating on him. Mm. And, like, they, and they oh, didn't... those pop culture references again. Uh, you and know. they didn't do the other buddy film cliche of, like, there's the part where they, they split apart. Oh, thank And Christ. then later on, like, they have to get back together I again. I mean, they technically do. I mean, yeah, but... Bruce Willis leaves, and Tracy Morgan's like, don't leave! And then he does, and then he comes back, and everything's okay. Kinda. Well, that was just a stepping out kind of leave. Yeah, but that's the closest they get. Yeah. Can I comment that this is one of the funniest scenes to me in the fact that it's not comedic, but I found it hilarious that Bruce Willis witnessed this guy mow down another guy with, like, an Uzi or whatever, but he's absolutely shocked to his core in this scene that he's shooting on a train platform. <laughs> like, he's absolutely shocked. Like, he's, he's even less shocked about him jumping the platform than he is about him having shot a gun on a platform. Like, he's just like, whoa, what? Well, I mean, Ryan, I think if we were to ask Kevin Smith what the deal with that was, he'd tell you that, you know, Bruce Willis knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I did like, uh, when it comes to the behind the scenes, there was this one line that Kevin Smith said, I don't... I didn't ride down, so I didn't have the direct thing, but he was basically like, I would lay down in traffic and get yeah, run yeah. over it because, just to thank Tracy Morgan for keeping me sane on making this movie. Yeah, I heard that quote. Which is something you wouldn't expect anyone to say about Tracy Morgan. 
Now let's talk about Tracy Morgan. Do you know Tracy Morgan from anything? I've I've heard the name a lot, and you know I I recognize him. But I, I when I looked up his filmography, I'm not sure that I'd seen anything. I know that he's um he's famous for Thirty Rock, right? Yes, that's what I yeah. that's what I know him from. And he basically plays himself. He's Tracy Jordan in that. And forgive me if at any point in this episode I call him Tracy Jordan because. Tracy Jordan's great. Tracy Jordan is just so absurd as a character. Like, there's an episode... I just love his simple gags. Like, he's just like... The main character, Liz, is disrespecting him in front of his crew. And he's like, Liz, don't make me show you the back of my hand. And he gives him the back of the hand and he's got a post-it note that says, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's just like, okay. Or one of my favorites, which is he has a song. He gets to sing. And it's a comedy song called Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. And it's him singing about attending a werewolf bar mitzvah. And it's just the idea of a werewolf having to do the whole bar mitzvah ceremony. And it's just one of the most absurd things. But it's actually played very straight for a comedic piece. And and he's dressed up like Thriller. But a werewolf instead of a zombie creature. So he's doing the Michael Jackson Thriller stuff with the red coat. But he's dressed up as a werewolf. And he's like, werewolf bar mitzvah. Spook. He's scary. And it's like, oh, you Tracy. Wasn't wasn't Michael Jackson being a werewolf in the music video? Was he a werewolf? I thought he was like a zombie I creature. Thought, I thought the Something backup dancers weird... was zombies. Oh, were they? I think he was a werewolf. He was a werewolf. I know his eyes turned into cat eyes. So I thought he was a cat creature. I don't know what Michael Jackson was. I know that on South Park when Chef did Thriller, he was a zombie, but I don't know. I... Michael Jackson hmm. fans out there, tell us what Michael Jackson was. Was he human? Was he a zombie? A werewolf? Well, he sung a song called Human. Was he a cat? Who knows? <laughs> the pointless breaking of the Chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice little bit of immaturity. Now, can we talk about... Uh, yeah, with Tracy Morgan, he's really good in this movie. You know, I'm familiar with him playing himself, or a version of himself, and you're not familiar with him pretty much at all. But, like, in this, he kind of just plays Tracy Jordan, but as a cop, and I'm fine with that. Uh, this was one of my favourite scenes, by the way. I loved this scene. I thought it was really great. The whole him phoning him <laughs> and then politically them. But I did love how these two played along with it like champs. Because they avo- the- they'd avoided another trope here. Like, yeah. Uh, here's a movie I'm going to compare this to a lot. The Other Guys. I've I've read people comparing this. You haven't seen The Other Guys, have you? I saw it in cinemas. Right, right. In The Other Guys, they have the uh, other policemen, but they're dicks. Like, they're assholes, basically, and you don't understand how they could ever be cops on a level. Mm. In this movie, I could understand how these two are actually policemen, but they're the right level of dickishness, but also they're dicks because these people are terrible. Mm. Terrible people. So, yeah, but I, I loved this little back and forth with Bruce Willis and Tracy. I like that they're, they're like, the, the 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 side buddy cops, and, and they still have their own, like, rapport, their their own chemistry. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah, and you could watch a movie of them. It's like, yeah, this, was, this started off as a scene where, you know, Tracy Morgan and Bruce Willis were arguing and they were angry, but then, like, they, they were brought together by these two coming in acting like douches, but then... <laughs> 
when they were listening to what they were saying in response, they were actually somewhat impressed by it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, you know what? These guys kind of get along. It's, and it's, and like, it's I, cool. like I said, the younger guy in the, that, that duo is Adam Brody, who was in Jennifer's Body as the lead singer of the, 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 the right, Satanist band. Right. He was one of our favourites in Jennifer's Body. Yes, So I it was really it nice to see him pop up in this. So I was like, hey, I know him. We had him on recently for something, and I looked up like Jennifer's body, like yeah, like it was like it when we get those those little guests, like you know, previous Recurring stars. Characters, yeah, like it's obviously with this movie we don't have too many. Uh, no, I don't think so. Like I can't think of many. If there are many others in this one, uh well, one. I can't of... remember. Have we had Fred Armisen on the show before? Yeah, we've had him a few times. Is yeah. he in this? Yeah, he's the Russian lawyer. Oh, that was Fred You know, Armisen. Fred Armisen, that real Russian-looking fucker? <laughs> the guy who I would cast as the Russian. Also, I wanted to ask you to keep an eye out when we read this if his last name is Russian or Polish, because it has oh, a, we have ski, subtitles it has a ski on the end. Okay. So I was like, could it be Polish? Or they just, or is it actually a Russian name? Because you know, they, 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 you know, there's some crossover there with some similar. They're both Eastern European and Eastern they're right Europe- next to each other. Yeah, European stuff, and well, one took over one of the others. So yeah, mm. they traded some land. <laughs> they occupied one. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did like that in this particular cop movie. They did a, a manage to avoid a lot of the tropes while still doing homage to the cop buddy genre, but without it being so wink-wink in your face, we're doing the... Even though at the beginning he says homage and all of that, or homage. Homage, yeah. Homage. Uh, But it's not like the movie is constantly winking at you. Like, at the beginning, they're a bit hard on it, with Bruce Willis not getting the reference to Die Hard. Ha ha ha, we get it. He's Bruce Willis. He It'd was be, in Die Hard. It would be kind of a you know paradox if he did get it. But there's no bit in the movie where he he straps the gun to his shoulder with duct tape or like you know what I mean. There's no direct references anymore to other Bruce Willis type things or those direct buddy cop things. They don't do like Hot Fuzz where Hot Fuzz is overtly telling you these buddy cop tropes and then doing them at the end and it's awesome like have you ever shot a gun out of a car while going ah no i haven't done that have you ever shot two guns and then at the end they do all those things that he asked this movie doesn't have that like they just kind of do it without kind of being obvious like i'm not saying hot fuzz isn't great that's one of my favorite movies but like that's the point of that movie directly to Mm. be like we are doing this we are deconstructing this genre and doing it ourselves well this movie is just kind of like yeah, we're doing Bo- it. Both those, both these films, they know what their their mission statement is. We can put it that way. I agree. Mm. Do you have a favorite buddy cop genre, like movie or cop movie? I guess. Hmm. What cop movies have I seen? I know it's a hard one. I, I I've obviously seen. I I I obviously know all the tropes, so I I must have seen a few of them. We've seen. I, I guess seen the other guys. I've seen the other guys. Yeah. I. You know what? I I always talk up Twenty Two Jump Street. Possibly that one. Yeah. The 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 Jump Street movies. Have you seen any of the Lethal Weapons? Maybe the first one a very long time ago, but not to the extent that I can say definitely. And you haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop? Have I seen Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, man, it's a it's a hard uh, one. I'm, think, I'm thinking of other uh, Eddie Murphy films. What, like 48 Hours? <laughs> I've seen that one, yes. Yeah. Well, that one's like cop and... Cr- criminal. Criminal, yeah. But you know, I mean, it's a buddy... It's a buddy police film. Police thing. And it's a crime, yeah. 
or um yeah there's a bunch of them i obviously lethal weapon is a jump out one to me and this movie has a lot of lethal weapon ism stuff in there of course like a white guy and a black guy uh obvious but like or or, or the annoying criminal buddy that they have which is in this movie sean william scott uh mm. and in the lethal weapon movies it was joe pesci uh, Joe Pesci became the mascot of those movies, basically. Like, he appeared in one movie. I think Lethal Weapon... I want to say Lethal Weapon 2? As, like, I want to say... It's been a while since I've watched it, but I want to say he was, like, a very minor threat in the movie. And then he appeared in the others as, like, more and more of this overwhelming presence as just, like, this big player of the, the Lethal Weapon movies. In, in which he saves the day at some point in one of them as well. <laughs> Joe Pesci's the best part of the Lethal Weapon movies, I gotta say, and a lot of Lethal Weapon fans, diehard ones, are like, no, he ruins it! And I'm like, fuck you, oh, Joe He's Pesci. one of those kind of roles. Yeah, yeah, like, layman's like him, but diehard fans, not fans of diehard, but diehard fans of Lethal die Weapon. Diehard Lethal Weapon fans, yeah. Are like, no, he's mm. like the Jar Jar Binks of this, you know, like, screw you, Joe Pesci's great, I love Joe Pesci. So we got Jason Lee here. Mm-hmm. And uh, second time in the Kevin Smith universe we've seen him, he was in Jersey Girl. Yes. As a smug asshole. (laughs) And in this movie, he plays a smug, weak asshole, though. He doesn't have the power here. He's got the money. He does have money. Uh, Did you appreciate that you've been able to see more Jason Lee in your life because of Kevin Smith? I suppose so. Like, every actor in this film, I think, did a great job. Are you familiar with many Jason Lee performances or roles? Because obviously you know the Alvin Chipmunks very well. <laughs> You're a big fan. I've seen a scene from it that you linked to me <laughs> which last he, week. Which I don't think he was even in. <laughs> um, so, have you seen anything of him? Like, My Name is Earl? Obviously. Oh, I've seen, I've seen episodes of My Name is Earl. He is Earl. Oh, he's Earl. Yeah, imagine him with a moustache and some longer hair, and that's him. I always imagined Earl was a bit shorter, wasn't he? No, he's just standing next to Randy, who is also incredibly big. So, okay, kind of plays perceptions. But no, that's him. That's uh, that's Earl Hickey. <laughs> it always amuses me that that you know, it, with my name is Earl, like how Earl in that show. It, it just amuses me that he he played that character, but then he's also an Alvin and the Chipmunks, like. Jason Lee will do anything for money. Like, he'll play... Does he, like, play live action in Alvin Chipmunks? Yeah, he's he's the guy. He's the human who owns them. Wasn't that David Cross? No, David Cross is their manager. Oh, okay. David Cross is their greedy, greedy manager who literally is... The best thing about the Alvin Chipmunks movie, having seen one of them in my life for reasons that I don't want to get into because they're embarrassing... Uh, the reason being, it was on, <laughs> and I just sat there, and I didn't find the remote. And you were very pumped. Uh, no, David Cross is great in them. I would recommend watching it for David Cross, because he literally does not give a single fuck in I've any heard. of these movies. Like, <laughs> and when he leaves them, I hear it's, like, tragic. It's like, oh, I wish David Cross was in here again for the adults. But, um, Bartek, let's talk about the emotional core of the movie. Bruce Willis. And his daughter? Uh, she doesn't play into it that much like she's the motivating factor but he's the emotional core of the movie because he has to learn to deal with his own pride at Mm. the end of the day you know because his baseball card gets shot by tracy morgan to be fair as soon as he discovers that he he lets out a laugh 
And he also says, fuck. So he's trying to be edgy. We'll give him to him. He's Bruce Willis. Mm. Are you a big fan of the Bruce? I mean, I've, I'm, I've been aware of him. I've never been like a super fan of him or anything like that. No, no. No, I've seen I, many fact, of his films. In fact, I think when I watched Pulp Fiction, uh, yeah. I think perhaps he might have been like my least favorite part of it. Well, yeah, because his character doesn't really do. I mean, well, he does kill a guy with a samurai sword. It's pretty great. Mm. Uh, he does have one of my favorite bits in Pulp Fiction, which is when he gets his watch back. And he's driving in the car and he's singing along and he stops at the cross crossing and, and Marcellus is like <laughs> mo- holding like a box of donuts and a hot co- and a coffee. He's like, motherfucker! And just gets run over. <laughs> it's so good. But I agree, Bruce. Like, I don't know. I'm a big... I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I am a fan of Bruce Willis. Like, I, I like a lot of his movies, like Die Hard, obviously, a lot of those. Mm. What holds Die Hard up is, is his performance and his charisma. I've watched Moonlighting, the TV show that kind of spawned his career, and I enjoy him in that as well. I enjoy The Fifth Element. I enjoy him in The Fifth Element. And Chris Tucker, who I honestly wonder what this movie would have been like if it was Chris Tucker instead of Tracy Tracy Morgan. Because uh, him, and, and, uh, him and Bruce Willis have an amazing chemistry in that movie, and Chris Tucker's annoying as shit in that movie, but... I don't know if... The, I think this is in the time where Chris Tucker has retired from acting and he may have done one... He always doing a Rush Hour movie, so he's like, I can't do another Cop Bonnie movie! I've seen Rush Hour 3. That's another cop film I've seen. Did you like it? I remember being all right. Who did you like? Jackie Chan I mean, look, or, or Chris Tucker? You you're giving, me, you're giving me Jackie Chan, Ryan, so we got to take... But what about Chris Tucker? I mean, what about Jackie Chan? Well, Chris Tucker speaks with that funny voice. <laughs> I mean, you know me in funny accents, Ryan, so... <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jackie Chan. It's, the, the English is like his fifth language. Leave him alone. And he does really well with it, all right? He's a sweetie. So, yeah, this this movie has a lot of a lot of individuals. Like, here's Rashida Jones, who is the daughter of Quincy Jones, who... Oh, the music man. The music man. And she's also the daughter of... I can't remember her mother's name, but she plays the, the owner of the R&R Diner in Twin Peaks, and uh, that's kind of cool. I remember there's an interview with Rashida Jones where this uh, <laughs> this dumbass journalist press woman on the red carpet is like, wow, you have such an amazing tan. Like, do you go in sun a lot? And she's like, no, I'm ethnic. Like, <laughs> my dad is black. <laughs> she's like, oh. She's like, my dad is Quincy Jones. <laughs> like, it's just so awesome and how dodgy she is. But you know what? She's a very minor part in this movie, but I did enjoy seeing her. I kind of wish she was in it more. You know, I like seeing... I like Rashida Jones. Like, I'm actually a big fan of that movie. Uh, um, Forgetting the name of it. Cuban Fury. The one where Nick Frost tries to win over her love by learning to dance. Like, doing, like... Uh, like tango dancing and like salsa dancing and stuff. I saw that in the cinema and it's actually a really sweet movie. Okay. I recommend it. It has the best cameo by Simon Pegg. It's just like Nick Frost is like having this big emotional moment in a car park and uh, you see a car beep at him and it's just Simon Pegg in the car driving past his window down just giving this absolutely disdained face as he drives past like, <sighs> this fucking guy. I'm like, nah, that's Simon Pegg. 
But um, yeah, Bruce Willis, you know, big guy to have in your movie. And Kevin Smith obviously talks about it a lot that he was a big fan of Bruce. Like he even worked with Bruce on Die Hard Four. I mean, yeah, if you simply you know look up on YouTube, you know, Kevin Smith, Bruce Willis. You'll either come across the one... The, the positive video, story or the negative you'll story? You'll either come across the Die Hard 4, was it? Yeah, yeah. Die Hard... Uh, die Hard 4. Live free or die. Yeah, either Die Hard 4 positive stories or cop-out stories. <laughs> Which are negative, yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously he was a big, huge fan of, of, of Bruce, as a oh, lot yeah, of people... He, heroic worship. Yeah, as a lot of people are, you know, one of my favorite movies is a Bruce Willis movie, which is Unbreakable. Like, I love Unbreakable, and if you haven't checked out Unbreakable, obviously check it out. I mean, the, the you know, Glass came out this year, which isn't supposed to be good, and that's a follow-up to Unbreakable, but Unbreakable is good, so just watch Unbreakable. And Bruce Willis gives a great performance in that movie. He has to be very withdrawn emotionally. He's not playing up his whole charismatic, hey, it's me, Bruce Willis persona. He's very withdrawn and very quiet in that movie. I love I love Bruce Willis a lot, and I could understand how someone like Kevin Smith in his in his career, he had a very insular kind of film uh, work where a lot of the people he worked with in terms of actors were people he helped bring up or people that were coming up at the same time as his career was going up mm. or people who at the end of their careers, like George Carlin, say, and George Carlin isn't, a huge big actor like like Bruce Willis. So, you know, it's also like getting to work with that kind of thing. But like he hadn't really worked with big huge stars and at this point. Like Seth Rogen was still coming up when he did Zack and Miri. So in retrospect we can be like, oh Seth Rogen's a big star, but not at that point. Not as huge as he is now. But Bruce Willis huge star. And this is the first time Kevin Smith really got to work with like a major big Hollywood legend, like, to the point where everyone knows who Bruce Willis is. Yeah. So everyone knows Die Hard. Again, that he worshipped, yeah. So, I I can see, like, you know, how the pressure of that would be very hard on a director like Kevin Smith, who kind of has that attitude, like, he makes movies for his himself, basically, and his community of people. Mm. Like, the Kevin Smith universe fans and stuff. And this is probably his most commercial movie. It's a script that's not his for a studio that I, he doesn't really work for a lot because his previous films that we've covered have been uh, Weinstein movies. This is a Warner Brothers movie. Mm. He went to the Polish boys <laughs> for this one. The Polish Jews. Yep. Uh, and, you know, this is a far more commercial Hollywood-type movie, which I imagine a lot of Kevin Smith fans hate. Well, this is also the last one that he did like that this right oh yeah yeah he he's gone fully weird after this after this he does horror movies and and weird shit indie and, stuff right oh yeah 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 he does weird shit after this which i love so much we'll be covering red state next next episode but mm. like yeah this pushed him creatively in a different direction you know into a different direction because if this maybe if this did do well kevin smith might have gotten stuck down the rabbit hole of doing those commercial hollywood movies like a lot of independent filmmakers do possibly but based on the stories he told oh obviously it sounds like this really turned him off a lot of things yeah if this movie in the behind the scenes and financially did a lot better and critically did a lot better than it actually did he might be pushed to do more. But, he might have yeah. gotten stuck down the rabbit hole of stuff, of just generic Hollywood material. And uh, I think that would have been a very disappointing universe to live in because Kevin Smith's got a unique voice and unique presence in his filmmaking and his writing. 
Uh, and, you know, even though it's not his writing here, I can feel like he's punched up the script a bit, let the actors kind of flow, mm. let them do their own thing, and all of that. And, you know, this movie does has a very generic story at the heart of it. It is actually a little bit complicated, like, with what the Mexican gang wants. Like, we don't get to find out what it is that they probably want until later on in the movie. It's one of those crime story, one of those crime caper movies where the actual crime and caper don't really matter. Mm. It's more the interactions between the two leads. Mm. Like this scene here where Tracy Tracy Morgan was allowed to improvise about poop for 12 minutes. This scene here, aka, AKA half of Roger Ebert's review, was about this scene. <laughs> Do tell me about it. I didn't read his review. Like, literally, it's like eight paragraphs long. The first four are about this scene. Was he like, I love this scene. I have also taken a shit, and I can completely understand where he is coming from when he is observing the fact that if you hold one in, it is big. (laughs) Look, unlike the (laughs) other two films we've done, he actually didn't like this one. He gave it, like, one out of four, maybe one and a half. What? It was low. Was he not like, I met Tracy Morgan one time. He was a pleasant gentleman. He gave me some baked goods, and I gave this movie a higher review because (laughs) of that. I know, I know that with this scene, he didn't like that Tracy Morgan kept talking about shit too much. He even wrote at one point, like, we get it. And also, this was a really bizarre point. Yeah. Do you know what parkour is? Yes. Do you feel like people know what parkour is? Like, even a little bit? Um, or do you reckon... Here's the thing I gotta say. Yes and no. I'm gonna say yes because... Um, those James Bond movies, the Daniel Craig ones, brought it into the into the public mainstream view of things, like Casino Royale and a bunch of those other ones. Like, that really brought it to the forefront. Like, hey, parkour, because that's his fighting style a little bit more and all that kind of jumping and stuff, and maybe even Tom Cruise movies. But I could also say no in terms of I could also imagine, like, uh, your general film viewer who isn't, like, really up-to-date with everything yeah. wouldn't know. So, yeah, it's a bit of both. But... Did he say that this movie was pandering to the fact that they didn't think people knew what parkour is? No, he he released a review on the exact same day as his... or Well, according to the website that his reviews are on. Apparently, he saw a film... On, he released a, the review of that film the exact same day. I think it was called District 13 Ultimatum. Okay. Sounds fun. Yeah, apparently it was... I think he liked that one a bit more. In that film... Apparently, the concept of parkour was also explained, Mm. and he was complaining about the fact that he saw another film that explained what parkour was, and he also accused Kevin Smith saying something like, oh, I bet Kevin Smith just learnt what parkour is, and then he wanted to fit a little bit of it into this film. It it was Uh, like, Roger... I love the idea that it's like, hello, I am esteemed film critic, Roger Ebert. My job is to see at least four movies every day. I blame movies for assuming that the general filmgoers are people like me who see a million movies as well, and they notice that these movies repeat certain lines of information. It is not at all common... It is not at all common that people may not have seen... District 13 Ultimatum and Cop Out in the same day or the same week, but they should cater to that knowledge, because I've seen those movies in the same day or week, so they should movies should be catered to me esteemed film critic Roger Ebert, who sees a million movies a week 
like the idea of that like uh, you know i mean like i get it you have just seen a movie that has explained the similar idea already but you shouldn't take that against the movie itself because that's movies are tailored towards lots of demographics and lots of people it's not like every single individual on earth is seeing every movie every day and being like hey this movie just explained what hacking is to me i saw that in that other movie about it hacking how Dare they? I bet Roger Ebert would have got annoyed if they didn't explain what parkour was. Well, you know, Roger Ebert, he, he's also, he also notoriously hates video games, I believe. <sighs> and we just had a quote from a video game told just now. He probably went right over his head. Which quote was it again? All of your base are belong to us. Of course. From the Sega game Zero Wing. Of course, everyone the classic. So, Bartek, was this your favourite side character? I think it might have been, actually, yes. <sighs> Really, not not Fred Armisen as Russian lawyer who wanted to give his wife away. Look, I, I have to I have to also give this film this bit of credit. I I make it sound like this film's not worthy of a lot of credit, but it, it's a, it's a point that I want to bring across. This isn't one of those films that um that I've found myself quite enjoying throughout this show, like Thunderpants or um Oscar uh, Bubble Boy where there's, like, you know, the main characters just coming across, like, one scene wonder characters. Oh, right, yeah, this isn't a cavalcade of side characters. It, this is has, this has probably, like, three to four really good side characters. Uh, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. There, there are a couple that just appear, like, once. Like, there's this mum here. There's the little kid carjacker. Oh, I forgot about the little kid carjacker. <laughs> there's the lawyer. Yeah, Sean just, William Scott. Sean William Scott. Yeah, he's got, like, two, three scenes, but he's sparingly used. I, I really enjoyed the sparingly used characters in this film. Yes. Um, but like I just said, Sean William Scott is in the movie. Yes, he is. It was pleasant to see him. Mm-hmm. As soon as he appeared the first time when he tasered Bruce Willis, I saw those eyes. I'm like, hey, it's Sean William Scott. I love Sean William Scott. You know, he's one of my favorite. Uh, he's one of those actors that I root for a lot. Like, I'm like, I love him. Yeah, when I saw him, I'm like... I know this guy, I know this guy, and the name was just not coming to me. Then eventually I was like, oh, it's Sean William Scott. You weren't like, dude, where's my car guy? Yeah, well, the thing is, in Dude, Where's My Car, he didn't really have any facial hair, so and that's like uh, the, the image that sticks in my head, and right. also he was next to Ashton Kutcher, who's really tall, so I assumed he was kind of short, but he's evidently a, he's not. <laughs> uh, I also like the idea that, um, you know, you know, there's, there's two types of Sean William Scott fans. People who will look at him and be like, dude, where's my car? And the real people who are like, it's Stifler. Stifler, (laughs) I want to be that one who's like, Evolution with David Duchovny. Yeah, like he was in that too. And I I love Evolution. What about Bo Duke? Bo Duke, you you got me there. This is our second time with Sean. I believe so, yes. And he's great. (laughs) This whole scene, look... I my biggest negative critique of the movie is could they have reworked the entire movie to be these three stuck in a car for ninety minutes? Because I would have loved it. <laughs> a buddy trio, yeah. Like it's a tr- it's a road trip movie, <laughs> and it also happens to be a side story in the Road Chip, the Chipmunks movie, because it has Jason Lee in it. I'd love it. I'd love it. I'd love if this took place and it's like it's still gritty. And over the top, but it took place in the Chipmunks universe. I mean, hey, the Chipmunks universe is pretty dark. I mean, they had John Waters in it, and they acknowledge Pink Flamingos exists in the And universe, they acknowledge yeah. that Alvin has sat down and watched Pink Flamingos, which is 
Again, I want to know who chucked that idea out there. I imagine it was John Waters himself. He's like, I want to be in a Chipmunks movie. And they're like, no, John. He's like, I was on The Simpsons. Why can't you have me in The Chipmunks? It's like, you got me there. We... <laughs> Simpsons is pretty wholesome a lot of times. So I don't know why we can't have you in this. I mean, to be fair, Simpsons started off as a pretty edgy show. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I think even George Bush had like a quote. It's like, well, yeah, we should be more like the... And he said, like, some wholesome sitcom family uh, that, yeah. and less like The Simpsons. Oh, it was, Barb, it was Barbara Bush. Barb. Oh, Barbara Bush. Yeah, and then Marge, as the, like, the character of Marge wrote a letter to her being like, hey, we're not the best family in the world, but we try our best. And, blah, blah. and Was it that cha- the episode where they were across the road from No, them, no, no, because they responded because of that episode. That's why they were like, ah, they're not that great. They had us. But, like, in real life, I mean... She wrote a letter, like, they made out, like, Marge had wrote, like, written this letter, oh, and they okay. sent it to Barb, and Barb changed her mind, because she realized that what Marge was saying, in a very Marge-like way, was very accurate, that they are reflecting a certain part of the American people, and if you ignore that part, that that means you're out of touch with the American people who you're supposed to re- represent. That's a really neat trivia point. That is a neat trivia yeah. point. And it showed you that uh, Bob Bush did have some humanity under there. Just a little. Hmm. Just a little. She's dead now, but, you know, she had a little. But you know who we need to talk about more? More Sean William Scott. He rocked this scene, but I love, you know what I love about I this? both scenes where he's in the back of the car. Yeah. Oh, and when he's in the jail cell. Yeah, that, that too. But I'm saying there are two scenes where he's oh, in the yeah. back of the car. And I wanted to make the comparison to, like, you know... Uh, Dukes of Hazard, the car's an iconic thing. Dude, where's my car? Car's in the name. Yeah. Back of the car in this. Back of the car in this. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure. American Pie. Pie is three letters, like car. <laughs> That's what you got out of that. Good. Like, in this scene, what's really great about it is, even though Tracy Morgan's being over the top, He's kind of playing the straight man in this situation because Bruce Willis is joining in very stoically in the silliness by participating in the stupidness of Sean William Scott. Sean William Scott had some great zingers in this, though. He did, yeah. Like, I liked, um, you know, yeah, she's probably getting DP'd right now. It's like, it's like double penetrators. Like, ah, you know, it's just like all these acronyms. Mm. Acronyms? Yeah. But like... Yeah, uh, acronyms. Yeah, I just love that kind of silliness. <laughs> Didn't Wasn't there a trivia point on IMDb that like most of his lines were improvised? I'm not shocked. It's John William Scott. I think he improvises all of his lines in every single movie I he's in. I think that was the trivia point for this film. Yeah. You want to learn some cool trivia about John William Scott? Because I delve deep into him. Mm-hmm. He is a very shy and introverted person in real life. To the point in which he didn't have a, a girlfriend until he was 30 years old because he was so shy talking to women. Alright. He's stiffler! <laughs> he's stiffler! And I think he's only like 40-something now. So, think about that. Stiffler! That's amazing! Is he really only 40-something now? Yeah. Hmm. Gotta remember, like, come on, like... What, it's been like 20 years since... Uh, American Pie? American Pie was like, what, late 90s? I think so. Yeah, it's been like 20 years since that, and he would have been in his early 20s then. Because they weren't actually teens. <laughs> so last decade he would have turned 30. Yeah. I probably have watched Dude Where's My Car millions of times before he had a girlfriend then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that's interesting to think about. 
he seems like a really cool dude though like he's smart and very well spoken but like this he lets this side out in his performances this really revved up dude bro side and i loved his attitude to being dragged here <laughs> you know he's just like please don't do it again but he's still got that happy demeanor like right he is a cool guy he, he was very charismatic in uh Dukes of Hazard. Oh yeah, he's a charismatic guy. I mean, I like him. There's that movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson that he has, which is like, I think it's called The Rundown. It has like two names, like one for our country, one for America. Like thirteen going on thirty down here is called Suddenly Thirty. Yeah. Like I can't remember which one's for which country off the top of my head, but that's a good movie. It's just fun. It's one of the few Dwayne Johnson movies I actually enjoy. Cause I I like I like Dwayne Johnson in general, but like yeah, you said he hasn't found like his he hasn't found the movie yeah like he hasn't had his Snake Plissken or his Jack Burton, which apparently he'll be playing in a remake of Big Trouble in Little China, which is just great because the one thing about Big Trouble in Little China was he was the lightning in a bottle, and we should definitely try and replicate that. It would definitely work. <sighs> So, Bruce Willis here is wearing sunglasses. <laughs> no. He is. <laughs> Fun fact, he is. I gotta say, I like the extreme violence in this movie. Especially the police brutality that they inflict. And they never get reprimanded for it. Well, they're not on duty, Ryan. They aren't, so they could get... They're re- technically re- vigilantes, I guess. No, no, they are definitely vigilantes, yeah. <laughs> They were 100%... But they're not doing it to solve crimes, Bartek. They're, in fact, just straight-up criminals. Because they're only doing it for the self-propensity so that he could get his baseball card back to sell it for financial gain. They're not doing it like Batman, who is a vigilante, because he's seeing crimes and then stopping them by beating people up. Well, both of them were wronged. He was robbed, and Batman, his parents' lives were robbed. but, But... Yes, yes, that is that is true. That's a motivating factor for Batman, but it's not like that's the only thing going on. For Bruce, this is the only thing going on. He wants his baseball card back. He doesn't really care so too much. So when you say for Bruce, we got Bruce Wayne, Bruce Willis. Uh, well, which Bruce <laughs> do you think is motivated by a baseball card? Oh, well, Wayne, obviously. <laughs> Where's the card? <laughs> 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 which which uh which Bruce... I'm on baseball. <laughs> which actor playing Bruce Wayne is that? Obviously, it's Ben Affleck. It's the Ben Affleck version where Kevin Smith got the direct Batman v Superman. <laughs> <laughs> where, where where Batman's motivation is a baseball card, and he makes a Star Wars joke. Uh, that would be actually the best part. You know, there's a bit of Batman v Superman where Batman smashes like a toilet sink. Like, no, no, he grabs the the lid of like a like the the lid of a toilet off and smacks Superman over the head with it. That's during the big fight. Yeah, the big fight. Yeah, I, I think I remember that. Like, he grabs the the lid of like the basin, mm. or the 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 tank of the toilet. Like, it's a solid ceramic, and he slash he slaps him on the head with it. I love it if in Kevin Smith version version he does that but then shit shoots out of the toilet as well and gets superman in the eyes and he's like oh god and batman played by ben affleck will be like 
he'll he'll just look and give that Ben Affleck smile, you know, that like insincere smile that Ben Affleck has that was so inspiring to David Fincher that he said, I gotta have you and Gone Girl because of that insincere smile. You know that's a fact, right? One of the motivating so. factors in Gone Girl to get Ben Affleck in it was that Ben Affleck has this really insincere <laughs> smile when he's on the red carpets. <laughs> and he's like, I, that's the guy to play this character. So I, I just came to the real- realization I don't think this film had any poo in it. Are you sure? I, I'm, no, I said I, I don't think. Well, I don't think so either. The closest we get to a toilet is the Mexican girl, Gabriella, needs to use the bath, mm. and she leaves the note on the toilet. That's the closest we get to any toiletry here. If only she took a shit and didn't flush. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan's sniffing it. <laughs> Why am I sniffing it? Well, it's just, you were laughing with your <laughs> nose, so I was... <laughs> Here's Bartek's favourite character of the movie. Uh... Small criminal boy. Carjacker boy. Carjacking boy. Who grew up to be Batman, I imagine. <laughs> because he got punched. Because Bruce Willis no, no, stood was, there and oh. let him be punched. And he's like, no, I'm against cops. <laughs> he's not against Tracy Morgan who punched him. It was Bruce Willis who let Well, him that's happen. a motivating factor. But then he sees that Bruce Willis stood there and did nothing. And that motivated him even more. Where's the Bruce Willis? <laughs> That's him grown up. It's very good. No, him grown up. He's like, where's that Bruce Willis, motherfucker? Yeah, I was about to say, the first voice kind of lost his uh, ghetto inflection. Hey, did you think it was going to... What did you think the gag... Did you think... What did you think was going to happen here? Like, when they when they did this? What, who did you think was going to pop out of the car? Because I genuinely thought it was going to be Sean William Scott. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, we've got to visit a criminal that we know. I'm like, oh, Sean William Scott. He's the only one that's been introduced that we know. But then in the movie, they introduce it as a child. Did you have any thoughts? I don't know. Maybe maybe his partner from the robbery? Uh, did that? Did we ever know what happened to that guy? Which partner? When they were when they were robbing the memorabilia store. The yeah, t- we never see him again. <laughs> no, we don't. Mm. I guess he got off. Sean William Scott Free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I get Scott Free. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. <laughs> you genuinely are like, hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. So, this was a great little scene, and I just love that Kevin Smith in a lot of his movies either has absolute, absolute love or absolute disdain of children. There's no middle ground. It's like he either really loves kids mm. in his movies or he really fucking hates them. There's no there's, in between. There's no room for generic kids. There's no room for just a kid. It's either the kid is literally named the movie Jersey Girl, or a kid gets punched in the dick. No in betweens with Kevin. There's no. The, the titular ge- Jersey Girl was shown a little boy's dick in Jersey Girl. That is true. That yeah. is true. But she didn't punch him in it. Yeah. She was wowed by it. She was too cash about it. She was super cash about it, Bartek. Mm. So, Bartek, tell me more about your experience watching this. Some highlights from it. Some highlights? Well, like I said, I just really enjoyed that... You know, even though this is sort of a cliched film in terms of its structure... The fact that it was delivered and, you know, played straight 
worked really well. So just, you know, everything about it was great. Like in this scene here, you were alluding to it earlier about this is where we find out he really likes to wear shoes or he's really interested in shoes. Boots. And they have just, you know, that line of like, never wear a dead man's shoes. You'll get cursed. And Yeah. I just feel like, yeah, there's a lot of clever things in this film. And, you know, did Kevin Smith, make that line? Did, was the original writer make that I line? I think Kevin Pollock just walked on set that day and was like, let me improvise the shit out of this boot scene. And then they were like, yeah, dude. Now, I would like it if Kevin Smith did write this moment because it is very clever, but I think we should give props to whoever the real, the actual writer is because there is, like, the stru- structure is very strong. It has a lot of twists and turns like Tracy Morgan's whole drama about him thinking his wife's cheating on her, and they play that very well, where he, him and both him and Bruce are convinced that she is fire watching a videotape, but then in the end, it's a twist. They should have watched more of the. They should have watched more. They should have watched if she actually got any like dick in her. So it was their fault for being so dumb. So we're about to, I think, meet Fred Armisen's character. Yes, because they have to steal the car and then they get chased by these guys. My big question is, and the movie doesn't want to answer this, and that's fine. Why did Fred Armisen want the car? I mean, I guess he just liked it then, right? He's a lawyer. He doesn't need to buy illegal cars. Did he know it was illegal? Dude, dude, think, think about it. How do they sell this car to him? Like, this is the thing. Like, this would be the kind of guy who's so rich, he would just walk into, like, a car dealership and buy it. Like, if he wants a Mercedes, he would just walk into a Mercedes place if he's a real good uh, lawyer. But I do love Tracy Morgan's weird line deliveries in this scene where he's all emotionless, where he's like... (laughs) And then you find out he's doing Robocop. You don't find that out till quite some time in the scene. You just have him be like... Freeze! Do not move. <laughs> like he says, but he's not even doing it that robotically. He's like, freeze! Do not move. And he's just like really, really dry. Yeah, I, I kind of thought he was doing like a Robocop kind of thing. I didn't immediately put it together that that's what he was doing. I just was like, what is he doing in this? And it was just so absurd and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so weird, 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 weird. But um. Yeah, this movie has a lot of interesting to us. Now, as uh, we've been delving into the Kevin Smith filmography, uh, we've been, you know, doing what is considered the dark era of Kevin Smith, in which he didn't do very many. He only did Clerks 2 in his own comedic style that people are familiar with, with that stoner comedy humor with the pop culture references and all that kind of stuff because we've covered stuff like Jersey Girl which is a major departure for him and then Zack and Miri is kind of closer to what he does but it's still a very sweet movie at the center of it and then this is his commercial movie where he's trying to work with an idol of his and uh, doing the buddy cop genre thing and it's still not very similar of of his style and I think one of the things I've appreciated about covering this era of Kevin Smith is seeing uh, how versatile he is when out of his own element. Like, this isn't his element that he usually is in these films, but he's still very versatile 
you know, he still was like, I will do Jersey Girl. I will do Zack and Miri make a porno. I will do Cop Out. I will do Red State and Tusk and all these things. No matter what, you know, like, he pushes himself. Like, a lot of people negatively critique that he's very indulgent to his own uh, audience of people. Uh, when really, if you look at it, he, there's a solid era in which he is going actively against what his group of audience members, that uh, fans of his, would want from him. Definitely, I could say that when you look at the, the videos on YouTube where he's, like, talking to his crowd, like, he, he genuinely... I feel loves them and yeah. there he does it. But yeah, I, I definitely, it makes me think of when people talk about those actors that will do anything like Christopher Walken, you know, yeah. it's an, who Kevin Pollack, who's in this movie as the older cop does a fantastic impression of, by the way, mm. he's like one of the top impressionists of Christopher Walken. Oh, right on. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I guess it's kind of easier to imagine that with an actor because, you know, you, you take on a role, you add stuff to it. I, I guess to be a, a director that does versatile stuff, that kind of feels like a bit more work. Yeah, and, and director-writer too, like, and editor of his own mm. movies. You know what I just say? Not to compare them on the same level, of course, but in terms of an auto fil- an auto filmmaker who is, you know, the personality of the filmmaker is in the film. Uh, I find it interesting that that Kevin Smith, someone people would look down upon in comparison, has more versatility in his films than, than Quentin Tarantino, who makes the same movies all the time, but they're just so well done. Like, you know what I mean by that? Like, Quentin He's Tarantino, in his element. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino is always in his element. He's always doing Quentin Tarantino dialogue with the Quentin Tarantino violence, with the Quentin Tarantino actors and the Quentin Tarantino direction. It's like... And I love Quentin. I love all of his movies, basically, and I enjoy them very much. But, I, uh, you know, he's not like your Martin Scorsese type, where Martin Scorsese will do a variety of different types of movies mm. in different styles or whatever. And even Kevin Smith, like, you know, like, you wouldn't be mistaken in thinking, not knowing that Kevin Smith made this movie. Yeah, and honestly, I think that's kind of a notion that I've read about online for all three of the films we've done so far yeah like i don't have have based on these three films that i've seen have i seen a typical kevin smith film no i don't really think so i think zach and miri is the closest yeah you said that before um yeah that's exactly it you know like it's so interesting to me like we have all these acclaimed directors that we all love of course and appreciate not to to value them but it is interesting that that kevin smith takes more risks and obviously uh, according to the critical thing more failures as well than someone like a christopher nolan who basically does the same thing a lot like he'll do different genres but he will do them exactly like you think he would you know what i mean yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I but like, I can definitely. You, you saw Dunkirk, right? Yeah, I did. And it's exactly what you think you would do with it. Yeah, a cold, much. emotionless time in which people barely talk and there's intense musical. I, I remember the color gray. <laughs> Don't forget blue, the slight grayish blue. And the water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I can definitely see. You know, you can pick up on directors' trademarks, but I can also see a lot of people who maybe aren't. Or maybe even they are into cinema a lot, but they just don't think so much about the directors. Like what I was saying, you know, Christopher Walken, 
He's on screen. You can identify a bunch of things with directors. It's a behind the scenes role. So not only you're not giving them as much recognition because you have to be more in the know about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just hard being behind the scenes. And if you're, you know, out of your element, how, how are people going to see the patterns if you've only seen Jersey Girl, Zack and Mary make a porno and cop out? Yeah, I understand. Exactly. Like, it's very interesting though. Like, you know, all directors have their trademark styles. Kevin Smith has his pop culture references and, you know, that kind of stuff. And certain actors he likes to use again and again, obviously, like a lot of directors do. But, like, I do think he doesn't get enough credit for how much he tries to push his boundaries when big directors get very comfortable in, in, in where they are, you know, like there are some directors that I really do appreciate, but I just wish I could see something different from them. And uh, like, like uh, Nicholas winding Refn who did drive and Bronson and only God forgives and all and Neon Demon. I love those movies, but it's very much the, the same ballpark. Mm. You don't see Nicholas Winding Refn doing like a musical, uh, and if you did, you know exactly how he would do it. It would be weird and emotionally fucked up, and like you know stuff like that. That's even why I like someone like David Lynch. David Lynch is known for having his very Lynchian style, but then he'll do something like Elephant Man, and people often forget that's a David Lynch movie, or he'll do Dune. Who thought giving David Lynch Dune would be a good idea? That's why I also like people like uh, D- uh, Denis Villeneuve, who is the guy who did like Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 and Prisoners and Enemy. Like he has his very distinct style and his distinct way, but he does do the the hopping around of uh, what the material requires. You know, like Prisoners is a very different type of movie to Blade Runner 2049. And that's not just because of the genre, it's the direction and the style and all that kind of stuff in general. And I, I, you know, I appreciate that Kevin does that. You know, he still does that today. Like, he's been more leaning towards doing more horror comedy elements and even some more sci-fi fantastical stuff. So, and I really want Kevin to lean fully into horror. Like, I appreciate the comedy stuff, but, like, my biggest complaint about something like Tusk is sometimes it'll go... Like, Tusk has a ludicrous premise and you can't avoid the comedic idea of it. But I think Tusk work, Tusk's, Tusk as a film worked better when it was leaning more on the horror and psychological elements. And I just really would love to see Kevin Smith uh, hone that down and just kind of be bare bones and just go for the full horror aspect, you know? Like how he did with Jersey Girl, where he mm. went for the full kind of sweet aspect. Like, there was yeah, not that no, much comedy in that movie. No relief from the main genre. Yeah, I would, I would really appreciate to see his, his, his kind of take. I reckon he would do, like, a Hammer House horror type movie or something, like one of those old-fashioned kind of horror movies really mm. well. This movie has a lot of people, and I was looking up pretty much all of them. I looked up uh, Gabriella here, and she's she's uh, an up and coming actress of quite uh, some note. She was in the From Dusk Till Dawn TV show, uh, uh, which is pretty good. I'm pretty sure I, I I didn't properly look it up, but I'm pretty sure 
She plays the Salma Hayek uh, role from what well, the the Queen of the Vampires. I think so. I didn't verify that, but like she's in Jane the Virgin, which is a big show as well. And like uh, I mentioned about it, she did a voice in one of the Batman Arkham games, the uh, Arkham Origins. Mm. Uh, she's listed, and she's kind of up and coming and just kind of appearing in a in a bunch of stuff, which is always interesting and always good when for me when I look up actors and I and uh, you know this is a very early work for her and she's speaking entirely in Spanish in this mm. except for hi hi <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's very cute and adorable and seems to be having a, a really fun time in this uh, as well yeah, she gets to do a lot of physical acting as a result of not being able to communicate with the English speaking leads I would really want to hear I, I don't know if Kevin Smith has this out there but I really would like to hear what Kevin Smith has to say about what it is like to do, to direct foreign language scenes if you do not speak that language like mm. i don't imagine kevin S- smith speaks spanish maybe he does but like i want to know what it was like for him to direct those scenes when you have the only you know spanish speaking characters and they're all speaking in spanish because you have a few of those scenes yeah quite a few of those scenes in this That's movie a good point yeah and i would wonder what it would have been like as a director what that kind of challenge would have been like because i don't think he's really had that in his filmography before or at least in quite some time so i wonder what that kind of challenge is like for 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 a director like do you have i imagine you'd have someone there who does speak the language kind of relaying it to you and you kind of have to kind of work with mm. stuff like i imagine the actors probably do speak english i mean obviously sh- she does but like uh, like, I, I could definitely see, like, yeah, the, the main villain guy. I, I imagine Kevin Smith would have gotten along with most of the people that he directs, so yeah. you know, a bit of trust there. Like, hey, how do you think this is going? It's like, I think the language that I can speak is going fine. Or something like Look, that. there's two ways that it could go. It could be like, um, you know, like there are those ways where it's like, when you watch something that's in a foreign language, you don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. You can tell when it's good acting or when it's bad acting. You yeah. can still tell. For sure, yeah. Sometimes there's that grey area where you go, I don't know, you know, because the acting styles are different culturally in different places, so you have to take that into account. But, like, there are those times where, I know this is an odd example, but let's say uh, Troll 2, where you had foreign directors who could barely speak English directing people who could only speak English and you could tell by their performances. <laughs> you know, you can imagine that. Like spa- like their they're stiff line deliveries or something like that. Yeah, and I wonder if we don't notice that, if there are scenes where it's foreign language people, like how naturally they are actually talking if they're directed by someone who doesn't speak the language. Mm. I was just thinking about that when watching this movie for some reason. I was like, ah. Oh, no, for, sure, for sure, it's something to think about, yeah. It's, it's um... Uh, you know, I you know me. I, I've watched a fair bit of anime, and sometimes there are I watch them in Japanese, but there are times where some people do speak in English, and those characters are meant to be American. Oh yeah, and they're like hello there, and you know they either get you know Japanese people tr- speaking English with their accents, or sometimes they do get what sounds like English speakers but they're clearly directed to speak slower than they naturally would. Right. Yeah, so you can definitely feel a stiffness for when you watch a foreign thing and they use English in that circumstance. That is true. 
Um, just a touch on Kevin Pollock being in this movie. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with him at all as a as a comedian as an actor? He's a he's a comedian too. When I when I saw him in this film, he looked really familiar, but I I co- couldn't put my finger on where I'd seen him. No, oh, he's he's in a lot of things, but I think he's primarily primarily known for in terms of movies. He's in uh uh, uh he's in the Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. He's one of the main guys in the Usual Suspects. Right. Uh, which is a big movie. Everyone knows all of the usual suspects in some way. Yeah. Um, but he's also a comedic actor. Does the Christopher? He does impressions. He appears in a lot of shows. I'm pretty sure. Sh- look, I wouldn't be surprised if he was in Seinfeld at one point. You know, like he's, he's from New York. I'm pretty sure. He also does a great impression of Columbo, uh, where he makes yeah. his eye, like one of his eyes, dart in different places like like uh, peter Falk's glass eye oh, okay. and uh there's even an interview where he's doing it in front of peter Falk, and it's just great <laughs> peter Falk's is like this guy's a clown you know but like uh and he also as kevin pollock he asks peter Falk to say his own name his own last name but with with the word you at after it peter Falk. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> and Peter Falk has that accent, so it naturally sounds like, fuck you. <laughs> and, he, and, and Peter Falk was like, you know what? That's a good one. No one's ever done that to me before. <laughs> so that's kind of cute. But um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting to see him in this. He's, he's known as a comedian, and in this movie, he doesn't really have to play up his comedy aspect. In fact, he's probably the straight guy in the whole movie, other than the police chief. Because, you know, the younger guy, Adam Brody, is more comedic. He's mm. the goofy one out of the two of them with his big boots. His big uh, absurd boots. Mm. Like in this scene, he's playing it dead straight, but Adam Brody's over the top, you know? I was expecting like some stupid twist with these guys. Like in this scene, they mentioned they even have corrupt cops. And I was waiting for the twist of Adam Brody to be corrupt for some reason. Like, you know, in movies, you're conditioned to have these things. Well, definitely these guys were introduced as rival characters. So you did feel like even though they haven't really done anything wrong, they would get some sort of karmic comeuppance, maybe? But they don't. Not really. I mean, they do get... One of them gets shot, but, Mm. like, they're all heroes. And they do the... Our main characters are solid. Yeah. They they don't need to, but they don't throw the main characters under the bus. I mean, you know, they do in the fact that they got saved by them, but I felt like naturally they would have thrown them that bone anyway. Yeah, yeah, the brothers in blue. The brothers in blue, man. It's like we've we've already said it this episode, they they didn't go the cliche for this particular way. Now, this scene has a very important thing I would ask you about. You've travelled around the world. More than I. Parts of it, yeah. So you may be more familiar with this, but have you ever been anywhere, anywhere, let alone a motel, where they have mirrors on the roof? On the ceiling? Because this scene had mirrors on the ceiling. And I've never been Mm. to a place that's had mirrors on the ceiling. I don't think I have either. Are you sure? You have to think about your dad's house. It has like three toilets, so <laughs> none of them have mirrors on the ceiling. Mirrors just on the walls, man. I was waiting for you to be like, nah, just mirrors on the floor. Those are, those are the carpet. Just the corners, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that would be the weirdest. <laughs> Ryan, they're just mirrored doors. I mean, what do you want? <laughs> I love it. I, I really want your, you to be like, your dad's carpeting is just mirrors. <laughs> it's very reflective fur. Yeah. 
oh, well, his lawn is a mirror. But like, other than that, no. <laughs> like, the literal roof of the house is a giant mirror. And when you drive down the road, people, like, crash their cars because the sun's reflecting <laughs> off of it. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, other than the windshield wipers, there are no mirrored surfaces. Excellent. <laughs> Oh, excellent. So, Bartek, tell me more about, like, were there certain plot points or certain character motivations that you thoroughly enjoyed that kind of helped make this an unappreciated masterpiece for you? I... Not not so much to answer that question, but I did like the juxtaposition of... In the video, his wife is... Uh, we're talking about Tracy Morgan, listen, people. Tracy uh, Morgan! His, uh, his wife is basically chewing him out, you know, telling him off, and he is just cheering. Yes. He's very, very happy about what's happening. Yes. Whereas in any other film, that would be a moment of like, oh no, I'm a scumbag. Yeah, yeah. Like, if it was the movie The Guilt Trip... It would have that scene where Seth Rogen is, like, sad and there's condensation on the window that's kind of representing the cries on the inside. I remember that scene very vividly for some reason. But, like, um, yeah, but in this, Tracy was like, Yeah, boy! My wife no cheating on me, but I'm shit! But, like, I thought you guys also mentioned the juxtaposition of Bruce Willis's relationship with his ex-wife mm. and how his ex-wife did cheat on him. With, uh, with, um, Jason Lee. I was gonna say Earl Hickey. <laughs> uh, uh, It'd be one more thing for him to apologize for. But Dave from the Chipmunk movies, um, uh, yeah, and how, like, you, Bruce Willis is like, that happened to me, mm. and him and his wife have that friction, but and then in Tracy, he, he, he doesn't have that happening, like, it's a complete, you know happening juxtaposition with them too again adding to the the general uh, you know buddy cop thing the mis, mis mismatched buddies you know like you know on many levels like obviously tracy morgan is kind of dumb watches a lot of movies pop culture tv he, he's black of course he has a marriage in which it actually is working and they're happy he doesn't have any kids you know, that kind of stuff, while Bruce Willis is a lot more stern, stoic, he kind of is taking the job more seriously. He has a kid, but he is a distant father, and he needs money, Tracy Morgan doesn't need money. Like, that general kind of thing, they do a very good job of that in this movie, without declaring it. Like, they don't have the bits where Bruce Willis says, I'm getting too old for this shit. And, and, and Tracy Morgan's like, I'm young and skippy. We've basically already said it, like, in multiple different ways, but I think I think what makes this film really great and what people are really missing about it is just that thing of, you know, they play something straight, they subvert some other things. It's completely unpredictable in this predictable sort of plot. It's subtle. It's subtle. Sometimes it's not subtle. It's just unpredictable now unfortunately the unpredictability is also in the behind the scenes of this movie mm-hmm. which we have kind of talked about but there is more there which is you know unfortunately Bruce Willis and Kevin Smith did not get on 